Welcome this evening to Mosaic. Join us and stand, and we'll sing together tonight.
heaven, we, your children, are grateful for this truth tonight. And in your arms, we can fall back. Thank you for your love. Amen. You may be seated. I want to put a couple things before you tonight. Uh, first of all, welcome to the worship gathering of Fellowship Mosaic. If you're new with us, uh, we'd love to meet you. And uh, there's Sometimes staff up here on stage and often in the foyer, uh, please uh, come and introduce yourself. We'd love to get you plugged in here uh, as part of our uh, church family. Uh, Samaritan Community Center, uh, they have been an organization since 1999 that has been privileged to share the love of Christ by a simple thing, by filling backpacks with necessary supplies for school and being able to give those to uh, children in need so they can hit the ground running for the school year. And we here at Mosaic get the opportunity to partner with them this year. And so you can see on the screen a couple uh, dates that uh, we will have bins in the foyer. Um, if you would, please contribute to this. Um, it's uh, such a great cause here uh, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. Uh, and we're asked, our contribution here is colored pencils and wide-ruled notebooks. So can we do that together? Yes. Okay, great. So take a picture of this or scan that code or write it down, something like that, um, so that you can stay aware of, uh, of those dates that will have bins in the foyer. On the same uh, line, the same vein of uh, sharing the love of Christ, one thing unique about Mosaic and fellowship as a whole uh, is we have a, a cross-congregational ministry called Fellowship Worship, and uh, I and we love uh, to sing and often do sing original music uh, here on Saturday nights that uh, staff has written or volunteers have written, but uh, songs that are born from the heart of ministry here uh, in Northwest Arkansas, and we have a uh, recent uh, recording project we did uh, where we took kind of three songs that we sing often here, but, um, and there are often songs too that people will come up and go, hey, where can I find that song? And the answer is nowhere, because we've never recorded it, you know. You can come back on a Saturday night and maybe we'll play it. Um, but now we have an answer to that. We have made uh, two versions of three songs. We did a kind of a stage version that's a more acoustic uh, approach, uh, and we shot videos with that. And you can find those now. They're already out um, by searching that album title uh, and through Fellowship Worship. You can find those on Spotify, Apple Music, and um, the video component of that. Um, and amongst other videos we've done is available on our YouTube channel. So we'd love for you to subscribe to that and check out what we've done there. Uh, you might remember Easter of 2020, we did the uh, Is He Worthy video that's uh, touched so many people, uh, and so we just hope to continue in that stream. And then we'll have studio versions of those three songs out next Friday. So we would love for you to follow along with us as we're creating and uh, writing music for the glory of God and the edification of the church. 
happy to see you guys here tonight. Let's stand together. In fact, we're going to sing one of those songs now.
could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written Jesus Christ my
God, we proclaim this in this place. We believe this truth with all that we are. That all we are and all we have is because of you and you alone. And we stand grateful tonight. Amen. You can be seated. Guys, I forgot my table. <laughs> I want you to imagine with me, if we could, kind of what the uh, the first people to get this book of Hebrews, this letter that we talked about, is sort of a letter, sort of a sermon. What they were going through when they got it, because um, sometimes it really helps us to capture the the heart and soul of, of, and the strength of what's being said, if we can just kind of put ourselves in, in the place of these people who got this thing. And so just let's, let's think for a minute kind of what they were going through. Who were they and, and kind of where, where were they finding themselves? They had um, embraced the gospel. These were, these were people who were Jewish, uh, practicing Jews. They, they were not just people who were Jewish by birth, but they were actually practicing Jews, and then they'd heard this new message, this gospel of, of the good news of Jesus Christ, and, and that had struck a chord in their heart, and they had embraced that, and they had become now a part of this, this community of faith, uh, this group of people that had gathered and, and were connected, and they shared this common bond of faith in Jesus Christ, and they were, they were living out this new faith and this new, uh, this new life in the gospel. And then their faith was tested early on. In fact, in a passage that, that we're not going to get to tonight, but uh, a little bit after the passage that we teach, he says, uh, recall the formal, former days after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle. But you endured it with, with, uh, with rejoicing and thanksgiving. So they went through these hard times, and it seems like they, they did okay. They hung on, they gathered, and they, they locked arms together as this community of faith, and they stayed firm in their faith, and they kept on pressing into this new walk with Jesus. But things didn't change. In fact, things actually got harder. The pressures increased. Their, their lives and their livelihoods even uh, had become harder. They've been praying for some relief. God, could you, could you please help us here? Would you, would you provide for these needs? Would you give us some relief from this pressure? And it didn't happen. And so now they were wrestling. The, where are we and what's going on? And, and why has God led us here? And has he abandoned us? Hang on to that. We'll come back to that in just a moment. There was constant reality of danger looming over them. Some had even stopped attending uh, the meetings, the gatherings of the church. They had stopped attending those because they felt that the risks were too high. It was just too risky to do that. And many were now saying, 
Is it worth it? We'd heard this message of the gospel. We'd heard this good news, and boy, we really liked what we heard. But now that we've stepped into it, it's become far more difficult than we ever dreamed it would be. Is it worth it? And there were some in this church, in this, this, this community of believers, who were saying, you know, I think I want to go back to the old way. Now, I told you to hang on to that thought that I mentioned earlier. These were Hebrews, Jewish people. They really came to, to their identity as a nation um, in this, really in the book of Exodus, where God identified this group of people who were slaves in Egypt. They were descendants of Abraham that he had promised that he would make Abraham, his descendants, a great people, and now they were. They were slaves in Egypt, and God delivered them out of Egypt, and he took them into the promised land, or took them towards the promised land. And things were really good, and they were really excited, and they were really thrilled that God had moved in this new way in their life. But then things got hard, and the risks got great. And some of them said, is it worth it? And many of them said, Let's go back. This is a recurring theme in the history of God's people. What we're reading in the book of Hebrews is not a new thing for, this, for these, these people. Their ancestors had done this. And in, by the way, it's not a new thing for us either. If you read any church history, You'll read that this is not an uncommon story, that it's happened again and again and again. People embrace this gospel and they find out that it doesn't solve all of the hard things in their life. And they ask the question, is it worth it? So is there anything in their story that you can relate to? The pressures of the culture that's perhaps causing you to question your faith? Disappointment or disillusionment with God or with his people because either he or they haven't done what you expected them to do and maybe with his people, things that they should do and you feel let down and disappointed. Maybe because of certain circumstances in your life, fear has gripped your mind and you're living in a constant awareness of the what ifs that could happen. What if this happens? And what if this happens? And if I do this, what if this? So maybe you can relate to where these people are. And maybe you're sitting in that space where you're going, you know, this walk with the Lord, it's harder than I expected. Or man, this, this season of difficulty, it just won't ease up. Is it worth it? One of the main reasons the writer sent this message to these people was because he wanted to say to them, you need to stand firm when everything in you just wants to quit. And we need this message as much today as they did back then. 
So let's spend some time listening to what God's word is saying to us. As if we were hearing this from someone who loves us and wants to encourage us for the very first time. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So as I mentioned, the book of Hebrews reads like a sermon. And one of the ways this shows up is in a repeated structure that the author uses. And if you ever want to just kind of sit down and, and study through the book, you'll see he uses this structure uh, several times throughout the book. In fact, this tool uh, uh, is still taught in some form to people who are studying public speaking. And I'll give you the simplified version. It, it consists of three questions. First question is what? The second question is so what? And the third question is now what? And so as he presents this information, he gives us the what, where he presents a spiritual truth or a principle. And then he works his way through the, so what? Why is that important? Why is that spiritual truth or principle important? Why does it matter for us? And then he'll move to the now what, where he then says, okay, based on this truth and these things that matter, here's what you need to do with it. It's a call to action in response to this truth. And we see this repeated a few times throughout the book. And so here, uh, to show you how that works, I want to show you kind of a summary of the section that we're in, chapters 5 through 10. He's talking about Jesus is our high priest. And then, uh, so in chapters 5 and 7, he says, Jesus is a new and better high priest. Then chapter 8, he says, as a, new, as a new high priest, Jesus brings a new covenant. In chapter 9, he says, as a new high priest, Jesus brings a better sacrifice. And in chapter 10, he says, as our new high priest, Jesus gives us greater access to God. So the what, Jesus is a new and better high priest. And the so what, is all the benefits listed in chapters in eight, 8 through 10. And then the passage that we're looking at tonight is the now what of this section. So we've heard, we've been taught about the new and better high priest. We've been taught about the new and better covenant. We've been taught that we have this new and better access to God. Now what do we do with that? What difference should that make in our lives? Particularly when we look at it through the lens of if we are struggling to stand firm and if there's something in us that is wanting to quit, what do we do with this truth that he's presented? What is the now what? Well, in verses 19 through 21, he sums up everything that he said since chapter, uh, since chapter 5, and he gives us two summary statements, and each one of them begins with, since we have. So the first one he says, he says, since we have confidence. 
And then the second one he says is, since we have a great high priest. And so he's kind of worked his way through the truth and then the, the benefits. And now he's, now he's summing up the benefits and then the truth. So the, the, the what that he says is we have this great high priest. And the so what is that gives us great access and confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And then he tells us three things to do in response to this truth. It's pretty simple. Each one of these statements begins with the, with the two words, let us. So I know this is cheesy, but it'll work. I want you to think of three heads of lettuce. Okay? You got that picture in your mind? Three heads of iceberg lettuce. Okay, right? Sitting right here. We're going to look at each one of those. You won't forget this now. The reason I know that is because when I was like 19 years old, I heard a preacher say that, and it has stuck in my head ever since. So anyway, three things that he says we need to do if we're going to stand firm when we want to quit. Number one, let us draw near. Since we have these things, since these things are true, verse 20, uh, 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. He tells us um, that the first response whenever we want to quit, whenever we're tempted to kind of pull back, he said, no, 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 draw near, step into it. It's interesting, this phrase, draw near, it shows up six other times in the book of Hebrews. It shows up one other time in the New Testament, and that's in the book of James, where we're told, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So it's important to the writer of Hebrews, he's, he's encouraging us in all of this big, uh, this message of encouragement. He says, first and foremost, draw near, step in, lean in, draw closer. So here are some of the things that he says in Hebrews about drawing near. He says, draw near to the throne of God, the throne of grace, and find help. Draw near with confidence, he says. The second thing he says, draw near through the better hope that we have. The third thing he says is draw near through Jesus who saves us to the uttermost and intercedes for us. Draw near. And another thing he says is draw near in faith. Draw near, leaning in. Uh, in Hebrews 12, he says, if we would draw near to God, we must have faith. We must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. So when the author uh, speaks of Hebrew worship, he almost exclusively uses the picture of the tabernacle. And so we, uh, as we look at a picture of probably what, probably what the tabernacle looked like, I want you to notice the first thing that I notice about this structure. It is built for the, with a design to put people on the outside. So the tabernacle proper is actually the big tent in the middle. That's the actual tabernacle. And then they surrounded it with a curtain. And the rules say that the only people who can step inside the curtain are the priests. And the rules say that the only people who can go inside the tent are the priests. And the only one who can go to the, the, the inner chamber of the tent, the Holy of Holies, is the high priest. And he can only do it one time a year. It's all about who cannot come near. It goes all the way back to when God was giving the design of the tabernacle to Moses, Moses was on the mountain. 
And they said there was, you know, thunder and lightning and, and everybody was afraid. And God had already sent word, tell the people, don't even come near the mountain. Don't touch it. And then we read in the book of Leviticus, and it talks about this worship that, had, that took place in this tabernacle. And it talked about who, who couldn't even come to the tabernacle if they were unclean or if there was something wrong with them. And, and there's this list of people who couldn't even come. And it's all about how God is holy and he's perfect. And we can't draw near to him. And so we are dependent on the priests to draw near for us. So you get the picture that he was drawing. That's not the relationship we have with God. Since we have such a great high priest, he says, let us draw near. And how can we draw near? We have this unique relationship with Jesus as our priest. In the other places in the New Testament, is described, this relationship is described as us being in Christ. We are in Christ Jesus. So when he, as our high priest, walks into the presence of God in this Holy of Holies, uh, the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies was often referred to as the throne of God. So when he walks into that throne room that he's already mentioned, he said, but we can walk in with confidence. Why? Because we are in Christ. We are in the high priest. And when he goes into the presence, he takes us with him. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying, what are you going to go back to? Are you going to go back to being separated from God and dependent on somebody else to be your go-between? Dependent on a human priest to be able to, to, to stand between you and God and take your sins to God and bring God's message back to you and the forgiveness? Or are you want to stay in Christ Jesus and be able to stand in the presence of God Almighty himself and draw near? It's so much better, he says. Why would you give it up? Why would we put that distance between us and God when we can be in the very presence of his face? So when our high priest goes before the presence of God, we are fully assured, he says, in our faith that we are accepted by God because of Christ Jesus. We don't have to worry. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to fear. We don't have to doubt. In fact, in the practice of, of the, uh, the high priest going into the Holy of Holies, there is a tradition that says, it's not actually in the scriptures, but there is a tradition that says uh, that the, um, when the high priest would go in, he would go in with a, a, a rope around his ankle because if he were somehow unclean and unacceptable before God, they knew he would be, he'd be killed at the moment he walked into the presence of God. And so they could drag him out by the rope. So you can imagine once a year, as he goes to walk in, there's got to be a little bit of apprehension in his heart. Boy, I hope I confessed everything. I hope I did everything right on the way in. And all of the priests that were standing there waiting on him, holding on to the rope going, I hope he got it right this time. A little bit of apprehension, a little bit of fear. You know what, you know what the writer of Hebrews says? None, no fear, no apprehension, full assurance. You in Jesus Christ 
can stand in the presence of God and the only words you'll hear is welcome. Welcome. Do you want to quit? Do you want to give that up? That's what he's saying to us. Draw near. Lean in. Also notice uh, what else that he points out that gives us his full assurance. He says, first, our hearts are sprinkled clean, and second, our bodies are washed. And, and back to the picture, if you can go back to that picture of the tabernacle. You'll notice, it's kind of hard to see, but as you walk in, there's an altar, and then right behind that, there's a, what's called a laver. It's actually a basin of water. And so as the priest was getting ready to go into the Holy of Holies, he had to offer a sacrifice for his own sin. And he had to sprinkle the blood. And then he had to go to the basin and he had to wash himself clean. And so he's saying, we've already been prepared to walk into the Holy of Holies because our hearts have been sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we've been washed from our sins. We've been cleansed. And we've been able, now we're able to walk with full assurance into the presence of God. When things get difficult, we're often prone to withdraw from God. I, I know that's the tendency in my life. That when things get hard, my first reaction is to pull back from God. When things get difficult, I, I kind of just withdraw. I have questions, I have doubts. Sometimes we have disappointments. We may even have shame or guilt and we want to pull away from God. But the answer, he says, is to actually do the opposite. Instead of pulling away, double down, get nearer. Step into it. And what you will find is you will find a loving, gracious father who says, welcome, my child. Come on in. Second thing he tells us, when we feel like quitting, he says, not only should we draw near, but number two, we should hold fast. The idea is that we need to strengthen our grip and hang on tight. It's kind of an interesting picture because it starts out with this idea of hanging on for dear life. It means we're so, we hold on so tight, we hang on in desperation, as if we believe that if somehow we let go, we would be doomed. That level of desperation in our hearts that causes us to grip that tightly. Have you ever been in a spot where you were afraid that if you let go, it was going to be really bad? Several years ago, I was out hiking and we came to this ravine and I hiked down to the, um, along the edge because I wanted to go to the bottom of this, of this ravine. And then um, got ready to, to, to go back up to the top and I didn't want to hike all the way back. And there was this tree that grew right up beside the edge of the ravine. And I could climb the tree pretty easy. So I climbed up the tree and got to the, to the top where I could just jump off this limb right over here. And suddenly it was a whole lot farther than I thought it was going to be. And my brain was telling me all of the reasons why I could, all I had to do was just jump. And my body would not let go of the tree. I'd never felt that in my life. I was hanging on for dear life. And I literally had to have an argument with myself, and obviously I won, uh, but I had an argument with myself and I jumped over there, but I, out of fear and desperation, hanging on to the tree. So that's the first picture when he says, hold fast. Uh, it's, 
the picture of being on the ocean in a boat, in a sailboat, it's getting tossed around and you're just hanging on to the mast for dear life. That's the picture. But then look what he says. Immediately he says, hold fast the confession of our hope, not desperation. We're not confessing our desperation we're not hanging on confessing, uh, woe is me, and, and I'm going down. We're confessing our hope. That's what we're hanging on to. That's what we're clinging tightly to. It's not a clinging in fear. It's a holding fast in hope. And so if it's possible, what we're doing is we are desperately clinging with hopefulness. And that's what he says we need to do. When you want to quit, Hang on tight, but hang on tight with hopefulness. Not worry, not fear, not dread, he says, but with hopefulness. The Bible talks a lot about our hope. And when it talks about our hope, it almost never is referring to a change in our circumstances or relief from pressures and struggles in this present life. And so if your hope is wrapped up in things getting easier and better for you in this life, then you may not have a whole lot of hope because the world is broken, folks, if you haven't noticed. The world is broken and it's filled with people who are broken. And that's why we say here in Mosaic, all are broken, but all matter. God's promised to fix the brokenness. And that's where the hope comes from. Because he says, for he who promised is hold fast the confession of our hope without waving, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So our hope is not based on how our ability to hold on tightly. And our hope is not based on our the the these ideas that maybe things will get better for us someday. Our hope is based on the fact that God has made a promise that all that is broken will be redeemed and restored. And he who promised is faithful. And so when you feel like quitting, when you feel like giving up, I'm going to ask you, has God ever broken a promise to you? Not one. He's never broken it. And we hang on in hope, knowing that God is faithful to keep his promises. And then the third thing we're told to do is to consider one another. Let us, he says, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And, 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 the, and the actual, in the Greek structure, it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up one another. So that's kind of how it goes. So he says, let us consider one another. Another thing we're tempted to do when things get difficult, not only are we tempted to withdraw from God, we're actually tempted to withdraw from others as well and isolate ourselves. And this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden in the fall. One of the first responses when sin came in was separation. They went and hid. They, wanted, they tried to separate themselves from God. They tried to separate themselves from one another. And that's part of the scheme of our enemy, the devil. 
You see, he knows we were not designed to live in isolation. And when we do, when we isolate, we are lesser, we are weaker, and we are more vulnerable. That is a reality. We need each other. We are more easily discouraged, and we find ourselves just wanting to give in or give up. So the enemy will do all he can to separate and isolate us from others and from, from others who are following Jesus because he knows how desperately we need each other. And so he says, the writer says, consider one another. Be mindful of one another. Think about other people. Other people shouldn't be an afterthought for us. They should be a first thought for us. You and I need to be connected to one another in order to stand firm in our faith. It is practically impossible to stand firm all alone. Which is why God said all the way back in the Garden of Eden, it's not good for man to be alone. He designed us to be connected to one another. And when we are connected to other believers, it stirs up some things, he says. Now, one of the downsides of living in community in relationship is that we tend to irritate one another. Isn't that right? Come on, let's just be honest. Some of the most irritating people you know are other believers. There's a, a, an old Irish proverb that says, to live above with saints we love, oh, that will be grace and glory. But to live below with saints we know, that's another story. That's just what a relationship does. We rub against each other. We irritate one another. So he uses a play on words here that I thought was really, really interesting, very thoughtful. He uses the word stir up, which is almost always trans used in a negative sense of provoking. Now, uh, without going too deep into my wonderful childhood, I was the youngest child. I was really good at provoking really good. Now, come on, those of you who have younger siblings, you know what I'm talking about. They know how to punch the button. And so that's the word he uses, the word provoking. It's, not all, it's almost never used in a good way. And so I think what he's saying here is he's saying, I know living in relationship with other believers can often be irritating, but the risk of irritation is worth the good that it will bring. Yes, when we live in relationships, sometimes it gets clunky and sometimes it gets uncomfortable and sometimes we disagree and sometimes we end up disagreeing loudly. But we don't run away from each other. We don't isolate from one another because we need each other and we work through that provocation so that now the provoking is actually leading us to good works, he says. And then this call to consider one another is filled out with a correction where he says, and stop neglecting the gathering. Instead, he says, come and be an encouragement to others. Now, isn't it interesting? He didn't say, come, listen, you're wanting to quit. You're discouraged. You're weary. You're, you're just ready to toss it in. Come and be encouraged. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, come and encourage other people. 
You see, if we think that the main reason to come to a gathering of believers, whether it's gathering for worship or gathering in our disciple-making community, if we think that the primary reason is what it gives us, then the moment we decide that we're not getting what we want from it, we can just toss it and not feel bad about it at all. What? That just didn't meet my needs. That just didn't give me what I needed. But perhaps it's not about a me and Jesus. Perhaps it's more about a we and Jesus. Have you ever thought that the people around you tonight need you here because it encourages them? As you sing and you hear the voices around you, other people praising God with you. As we pray, as we share life together in, in these disciple-making communities, we encourage one another. And then he closes by saying, so much the more as you see the day drawing near. In Scripture, the term the day almost always refers to the future return of Jesus, and he just reminds us our hope is not in today. Our hope is in the day, and that's what allows us to live hopeful today. As we see the day drawing near. So when you feel like quitting, stand firm. How do I do that? I draw near, I hold fast, and I consider others. And one way we do this when we gather is by taking communion together. Just before Jesus was crucified, he gathered his disciples to, to, to observe the Passover, this Jewish feast. And during that meal, he established a practice that believers everywhere in the world from that time on have been practicing. We call it communion. He took the bread in the meal and he broke it and he said, hey, when you eat this bread, I want you to think of my body. Think of the, the fact that I took on flesh and my body was broken for you. And he took the cup and he said, and when you, when you take this cup, I want you to, to remember my blood, which was shed for you, the blood of the new covenant, the better covenant. It was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. So when we take communion together, and the reason we do this together is because we need the together. When we take communion together, we're drawing near to God through Christ. We're remembering Jesus. We're drawing near to God through Christ. We are confessing our hope. There are some traditions that when they do take communion, they actually say a confession out loud while they do it. But when, even whether we're confessing out loud or not, when we take the bread and we drink the cup, we are confessing, my hope is in Jesus and what he has done for me, my high priest. And when we take communion together, we're looking around and saying, this, this is my family. And you know what? They know what it means to struggle. They know what it means to have difficulty standing firm. And so we're going to come to the table together. And we're going to encourage one another. That's what we do when we take communion. 
So scripture tells us that Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks. So Lord Jesus, as we take this bread, we remember your body broken because of, on behalf of our sin so that we could be made whole. Remember Jesus. And he took the cup and he gave thanks. Lord Jesus, as we take this cup, we remember your blood poured out for many for the remission of sins, the blood of the new covenant that puts us in new standing, right standing, relationship with God through you all together. Remember Jesus. As we close, I want you to stand. I want to um, read a benediction over you that comes from Hebrews chapter 13. Church, would you receive the blessing of our God from the word of the Lord? Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, Equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.